Hey guys, this is a uh, kind of a follow-on to yesterday's episode about um, about thinking about um, being prepared and being resilient, uh, and also uh, not being passive in situations. I was thinking about this because we recently cut down our line of willows that were on the edge of the road. When we moved to our house, uh, we have a raised septic field. It's kind of across the driveway from the house. And we let it turn into a meadow, and I, I mow it with the scythe twice a year. <clears throat> but And it has a sort of stone retaining wall on the side with the road. And then there's a little strip of ground between that and the road, and it feels very exposed up there with nothing. Um, it feels like anyone who comes down the road sort of sees what you're up to immediately. And so one of the first things I did was I planted basket willow in between the stone retaining wall and the road when we first moved in. And it's been lovely to have the willow... Um, create a privacy screen, at least for the summer months. Um, but it very quickly kind of got out of hand and started feeling like it was making it unsafe to pull out of the driveway. No matter how hard I hacked it back, you would still feel like cars could creep up on you. You couldn't see very far. Um, there were other reasons that it wasn't working out, too. There was this beetle that was colonizing it like crazy. And so working on it, hacking it back, you get the beetle grubs and the beetles themselves crawling all over you. It was just gross. And as my wife and I were talking about where we wanted to have lupins in the future, I said, well, I'd like to plant them here. And she said, that would kind of make it even harder to see cars coming. And I thought, okay, well, let's, what if we got rid of the willow and built a fence? So we built a, <clears throat> a brush fence this last weekend with the help of my brother and his wife um, who were down visiting and we used the willow themselves, it was actually very simple, uh, to be the brush in the fence. And what's amazing, what's pertinent for this episode is that it's shocking how safe it feels to pull out of the driveway now. And it makes me realize how uh, how there was this kind of, this thing that was just not really safe in our lives, that we were putting up with for other reasons. And that changing this thing has all of a sudden, I can just feel the decrease in probability that someday we get into a car accident right at our driveway has gone from quite possible to almost entirely not going to happen. <clears throat> all through this one change of finding a different way to do the thing that we want to have done. We've done this two other times uh, that I can recall that um, where we did a thing and it f I could feel in my gut the reduction in risk to our lives. The first was buying our house and moving out of our old house. Our old house is 10 minutes away, but the roads between... We are 10 minutes closer to the valley and the old house is 10 minutes further up in the hills. And when we would drive from 
our parents, either of our parents' houses to our old house, it was that last 10 minutes. You basically would drive right past our house, essentially, a quarter mile away from it. And it was the last 10 miles, or sorry, the last 10 minutes of driving was always the worst uh, of the weather if the weather was bad in the wintertime. All of the sketchy curves and black ice and all that, it all happened between where we live now and where we lived then. And I still go there during some of the season for the Christmas tree farm, but it, I can feel, you know, winter doesn't often get really bad here until after Christmas. And I can feel in my bones the reduction in risk of having a car accident simply because we moved that 10 minutes closer and are no longer driving those stretches of road in the wintertime. The other time we made a change was a deliberate attempt to reduce the risk, which was installing the picket fence that we have in front of our house. You can see a picture of it on last night's post. Um, that picket fence had been behind our house, um, sort of fencing in a side yard for the dogs of the woman who owned the house before us. She'd fenced in this whole back area, most of it with wire, but the one area she wanted to look pretty, she'd done with uh, two sections of picket fence. And after we had a ball roll out into the road when my sister was visiting and her oldest daughter uh, was playing with the ball in the front yard and, and she, it rolled down the steep part of the yard and right into the road. And thankfully we were there to stop her from running into the road, but we realized that it was only a matter of time before something else like that lined up. And right around, I think on this, maybe that same visit, our youngest, our, our little dog, not our youngest, our, our, what is now our older dog, she was the younger one back then, got hit by a car because she ran right across the road. And thankfully she was small enough that she got hit and rolled under the car and survived. And we didn't even take her to the vet. We thought if she's a goner, she's a goner. Um, but she miraculously survived. She got sort of spun between the tires and then was small enough to roll under the carriage. And part of it was that she could just, she, she was on a leash, but she hit the end of her leash and she hadn't been snapped into the appropriate ring on her collar. Instead, she was snapped into one of those dinky little rings that holds the tags. And so it just unspooled the wire, un unwrapped when she hit the end of it in a split second. And she just was across the road in a shot. So... The other thinking of putting up this picket fence was at least it would give us a few more seconds because you'd have to go around the fence to get at somebody walking across the common. It would give us another second or two to realize what was going on. So we put up that picket fence. We just moved it. We just, I think it took me an hour. We just yanked it out of the ground where it was, walked it with a couple people carrying it to the front, dug some holes, and plunked it down. And it has since served its purpose quite well. Gathering balls. I don't think we've had another close call with the dog, but gathering balls that would have rolled down into the road. And, and I just feel much safer having it there because it provides that little bit of protection against a kid just shooting right into the road. And so I talk about all these examples because I think... 
this is the kind of anal analysis that we need to do to figure out where the points of greatest risk are in our lives and then do something about it. Maybe the point of greatest risk in your life is some crazy commute where you just keep having close calls. You gotta figure out some other way to commute or a different job or work from home. Maybe the point of greatest risk in your life is some sketchy light socket in your house that you just feel like is a matter of time before it burns your house down. You gotta do something about that too. So, but I do think that we, while we are not always the best at recognizing these risks, like particularly with driving, because I think with driving, we become so inured to it as a culture, at least in rural parts of the country, we lose sight of the statistics of it and how dangerous it actually is. Um, like I know I didn't think, I didn't think to myself in buying this house that, uh, that hooray, it was going to keep me from, uh, it was going to keep me from this sketchy part of driving in the wintertime. But as soon as we weren't driving it that first winter, or maybe even, because we closed on the house in, in some of the worst parts of winter, and I remember driving to the new house and thinking, wow, we won't have to drive this stretch of road anymore. That'll be so nice. Or sometimes you are aware of it. Like uh, another example is the driveway where I parked the truck over to the left of the house. If you're looking at the house from the road, if I pull out of that driveway, if I'm back out of it, there is a telephone pole uh, right there. So even though I have pretty good visibility in the truck, I can see over the picket fence in one direction. I can see clearly in the other direction. I'm not worried about having an accident with a car. I had several very close calls with that telephone pole before I just instituted a rule for myself that I had to back into the parking spot. Had to. Not allowed to pull in forward. And it took a while for it to become a habit, but now it's a, now it's a total disciplined habit. And I can feel that that has saved me from crunching up against that telephone pole at least once in my life. Um, so I think we can look at our lives and try to think clearly, okay, what are the things that are likely to happen? What can I do to mitigate them? Um, and for many of you guys listening who are fellow spoon carvers, that risk is going to be something to do with your spoon carving. It's going to be some habit you have. It's going to be some technique you choose to do that is going to get you in trouble eventually. Right? It's going to be laying your axe on its side on the top of the stump instead of sinking it into the stump. Sooner or later, you're going to brush that axe off onto your foot. It's going to be not sheathing your knives. And sooner or later, you're going to knock your hand against it that bare blade as you go to pick up your coffee. It's, it's choosing to do a certain cut rather than do it a different way because you feel awkward doing it this other way even though it's safer.
It's choosing to axe your blanks in a way that doesn't keep your hands safe, where you keep being tempted to preserve, to sort of maximize the use of the wood rather than give yourself that extra couple of inches of extra on your billets to keep your fingers safe. It's that. It's that. It's all of those little habits. It's not necessarily that all of them are going to happen if you do all of them. It's that all of those habits are things that you can do to reduce your risk. And sometimes there's big ones. Um, and, and then honestly, there's the habits that you need to develop, right? This is, a, I didn't think I was going to go into this, but heck, let's do it. It's the deciding to prioritize your health, right? It's not just about accident mitigation. It's about the slow moving risk of chronic illness, not just injury, but chronic illness and poor health that comes from not setting up your life to support good health. Uh, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot as I get into my late 30s and I can sense that my habits, not, not the sort of big goals I set for myself, my small daily habits are going to set me up for a healthy bunch of decades or an unhealthy bunch of decades. And trying to align those habits with the healthy end of the spectrum. Uh, you know, some of the things I did this last year was I increased the amount that I walked the dogs each dog walk. Probably doubled it. So now I'm walking a good oh, mile and a half each time I walk the dogs. And usually that's twice a day. So three miles of walking a day. And uh, adopting uh, intermittent fasting into my life so that I eat breakfast at 10 or 11 or 12 um, and try to keep all my uh, eating within an eight hour window in the day. Bunch of health benefits to that. Um, and just generally being aware of what food we have in the house and what I allow myself to eat um, and trying to reduce the amount of stuff in the house that isn't good for me to eat so that I'm not tempted. Um, things like that where it's an additional step removed from seeing the chance of an accident happening to seeing the chance of some long-term, slow-moving problem happening. And this is where it ties back in to the ideas of resiliency uh, that I talked about yesterday, because a lot of the things that are likely to happen again in our lifetime and, and are even and are happening right now during the pandemic and are likely to happen as the pandemic continues and hopefully winds down are the slow-moving changes to the economic scene and what the economy is going to look like and what sort of work is going to be available and, and changes to how, uh, how our economies 
work on the local and national and global level and changes slow moving slow moving situations where uh for various reasons we need to stop being as connected globally on a physical level even while we remain connected on an informational level um and again these are not these aren't like accident mitigation it's more like um slow moving trends mitigation and so uh so i can see the slow moving trend of like what was it there's some fast food restaurant that's introducing a burger flipping machine into its restaurant and and i think a lot of automation is is right on the cusp of happening and going to subsume a lot of jobs and while new jobs will obviously be created that means that uh you know what 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 if what ripple down effect does that have for me and and sometimes that's an advantage of i'm doing something that where the whole point of it is that it is not automated that it's done by a human so if i lean into that that is the story of that in an age of automation is compelling and sometimes mitigation of long moving trends is things like um setting up my land to produce as much food as it possibly can over the long long term so i'm talking about soil remediation in our meadow where i'm trying to remineralize the soil that produces the grass not because i want a cow now but because if i ever wanted a cow or a goat or some sort of animal that needs to eat grass in the future i want that land to be as healthy and productive and nutrient dense as it possibly can and so that means pouring a couple hundred dollars of amendments uh into my land not just my garden but my land each year to set myself up for that eventuality um and sometimes it means looking at who might be uh like looking at what the spoon carving scene might look like in 10 years and thinking well you know what if Matt decides to stop making tools he I have no information that he wants to stop making tools but I was just talking with him about this yesterday where we're going to swap out some of the tools I'm using currently with a new wave of tools and he's going to archive them and I said that's fine you can archive them but I want it in your will that I get the tools back if anything happens to you. Because God forbid anything happens to him and I don't have the source of this person who makes the tools that makes my best work possible. That's a real liability. Uh you know, and and similarly looking at well what are the other sort of bottlenecks of me being able to do what I do. So bunch of examples here on a bunch of different levels but this is the kind of thinking that
<clears throat> that I think is helpful. It's interesting that it is... I want to stress that this kind of thinking is paired with a kind of aggressive forward-thinking uh, attitude where I'm always looking for the next opportunity. You could just inhabit this space and say, you know, I'm hunkering down, I'm hunkering down, I'm hunkering down, and not uh, and not uh, do the work that needs to be done to move yourself to the next place in terms of your career or in terms of anything else. You could take risk mitigation, both chronic and sort of event risk, to a place where your life shrinks, where it's all about defending what you've got. And I'd say that's, um, at the least, that's a sad place. At the worst, it's an ugly place. And this kind of thinking needs to be paired with an optimistic abundance-focused attitude towards creating new things, new opportunities, new ways of being in the world for yourself and those around you. Um, and it's holding that at the same time as you hold the risk mitigation in your head and, and doing the appropriate amount to both that is to my mind, a prudent and successful strategy. As always, thank you for listening, guys. Let's talk about this on Instagram and uh, talk tomorrow.